Welcome to the Coaches Chat. I'm John Serenitas, and I'm joined this week by newly appointed Acton Boxborough head football coach, Justin Bernard. Coach Bernard, how are you this evening? Good, and uh, thank you for having me. Well, hey, thank you for taking the time to join us. I know I'm sure it's been a hectic week for you since your appointment. Uh, obviously, once you get appointed as a head football coach, and I know I've been there, it's, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of people to meet with, uh, administration, parents, booster organizations, players. So I'm sure you've got a lot on your plate. And like I said, we appreciate you taking the time. Let's just jump right into it. Uh, first things first, obviously, you had a tremendous playing career at St. Anselm's as a receiver. You, uh, you're the all-time Division II receptions leader there. Talk a little bit about your football life. Talk a little bit about your playing career, your coaching career, and how you've gotten to this point. Yeah, I mean, so I, I mean, for, in terms of my playing careers, I put it in three parts. You know, grew up playing Papuana. I was a running back in Papuana. Um, like most people, you start off as a lineman, um, and then every other year you get your chance to be a running back when you're basically one of the older guys on the team. So um, that's kind of it. It was about fun. When I got to high school, um, special group of guys. I mean, we had guys go to UConn, UNC, Northeastern, UMaine, Bryant, you name it. Um, a lot of special players, and it was a great time <clears throat> at Cambridge Line in terms of football. Um, and, you know, in the later part where I became the guy at receiver, I really was like the fourth option in high school. And I know that probably sounds insane to some people I played college with, but like I really was the third or fourth option. And so uh, my senior year, when I finally got to be the guy and, and touch the football, I knew what it meant to be the underdog and work hard. And, you know, I never in a weird way, and I preach this to all the receivers, and they'll hear this from me, is like, don't even give the head coach, the OC, the quarterback any clue or idea that they should throw the ball to somebody else. Um, and so when I got the opportunity to get the ball like that, um, I jumped at the opportunity to play, uh, you know, we mentioned before, but Coach Murph's offense, obviously spread them out, throw the ball a lot. And once I got there, I was like, I do not want to be a number two ever again. I want the football. I want to play. And so, it, you know, it, and it's not just wanting it, right? It's attention to detail, studying the plays, knowing where to be when you have to be there. Um, and then obviously, you know, you have to develop your athleticism and that's kind of how my football career went. And it was a great time. And, you know, when it ended, it ended. It was a hard trans transition. Um, but, you know, it, it created better doors, which is, you know, today being an actin. But before that, it was being in Cambridge as, a, as an OC, uh, you know, football coach. Now, obviously, you, you returned to your alma mater as offensive coordinator. Talk a little bit about what that was like. Obviously, you, you played in college. Then you get into coaching. What's What was that transition like for you? Yeah, um, you know, I tell us it's kind of cliche. Um, so basically, I, you know, didn't make the NFL, but was still training, had a trainer, um, kind of came down, you know, similar to a lot of other people. You know, you're going to go work out at your old gym, you know, as an alumni. And and, and the weight room, it, a bunch of kids were outside. The door was locked. There was no one there. Um, and, you know, having grown up in Cambridge, a lot of those guys, we don't like the weight room. You know, it's, it's a lot of skilled players in the game. And so why would we lift weights? That, that doesn't help you. Play. It's not true. But it, in our mind, it doesn't help you become a better football player. So having a locked door is not going to get guys in the weight room. And so for me, it was just a good transition to say, like, hey, these kids need me more than I need to keep trying to play football. Um, and I kind of came in as a strength and conditioning first and then worked myself into a DB coach. Um, and then into an OC. And so in terms of being back at my alma mater, it was more, um, I think it was more of a, a downtime. You know, I think they were around like three and eight at the time, not super great seasons. Um, and just really trying to bring that prestige back. Like when I was naming all those guys, 
Josh Adams, UNC, Isaiah Moore, UConn, Jesse Sparks, uh, Northeastern. These are all wide receivers. Uh, we were one of the first teams with Paul Canella to really open up the spread attack in Massachusetts. Um, and so, you know, that's really what gets a basketball town to buy into football. And so it was like, all right, we got to get these guys away from We got to get them working out. We got to get them bought in. And so that, that's really where I started in Cambridge. Yeah, and you mentioned Chris Camilla. Obviously, he's been around for a long time, uh, involved in college football on the recruiting side of things. Uh, but, but you know, you talked about him being one of the first coaches in the state to really introduce the spread. It's guys like him, Steve Dombowski at Swampscott. Talk a little bit about and, – and I thought you brought up a good point with the basketball piece and getting athletes to buy into playing football in a community like Cambridge – but talk about the influence that coaches like Paul Ganella and Patrick Murphy had on you and your thought process as a coach. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was in Pup One, I mean, we were basically running the wing tee. Um, you know, that's what everyone did. And it was really smash mouth football. And there are elements of it that's that that are still incorporated in today's game. You know, you still have to play physical. Um, but it was fun, right? Spreading the field out, getting to run routes, um, you know. <laughs> Getting to, you know, it wasn't just one guy or two guys touching the football. Everyone was touching the football. And, um, you know, for me, catching the football is just a beautiful thing. Um, and, and I know that sounds weird. And and so for Ganella, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, and so for Ganella, it was more vertical, pass threat, chuck the ball. Uh, with Coach Murph, it, it was really a different version of, of, of it, it was felt more West Coast. It felt more. Um, RPO based and and we weren't really running RPOs back with Ganella, definitely not at the time. Um, and it, and it was more run and shoot motion type offense, which I think, you know, benefits because it gets athletes in space, you know, um, there's different types of receivers. There are ones that are really good at stretching the field. There are really green grass wide receivers or there are guys that are good after the catch and uh, coach Mark's offense definitely, you know, captivates got just putting guys in space and letting them play. And then, you know, green grass routes, you know, reading the open field, making the defense always wrong. So it was two different versions of football, uh, but still passing heavy attack offenses and both that have a big impact today on my offensive philosophy and the way that I view football. Now, you're taking over a program in Acton-Boxborough that obviously has a rich history and tradition. Of course, Bill Maver, longtime coach there, won over 200 games, multiple Super Bowls. He had a 52-game winning streak. Talk a little bit about, especially as a dual county guy, talk a little bit about what that feels like for you taking over a dual county program, but a program with so much history and tradition. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously, you know, I think I did an interview yesterday and it got brought up. I mean, there's pressure with it, right? Like nobody wants to be the guy that underachieves, right? Um, and so that that comes with a certain level of preparation that comes with a certain level of focus to make sure that you meet that. Uh, but at the same time, it's great. I mean, I was at an Acton Boxborough lacrosse game today and there were so many people there. Um, and by the way, shout out to Acton Boxborough, you know, who clinched the DCL and beat LS and back to back times this week. So th that goes on record. Um, but it was a, it was a great atmosphere. I mean, this is what you want um, growing up in the city. I think it's hard to get everybody in one place at one point in time. There's a lot of things to do, um, but out there, I mean, everyone was at the game. I mean, all the coaches, all the families and people introducing themselves and, you know, just bumping into, you know, a lot of the kids. I mean, it, it felt great. Um, and so that comes with Ella, I mean, with AB. And I think even when I coached at Cambridge, one of the games we played AB that really made an impact on me 
was going down and watching all their student section all in Halloween costumes. Um, you know, so that was a dope experience. So it's not just football. It's the family environment. You can feel it while you're there. Um, and so, you know, just, you know, giving them everything that they deserve. And, and that's, that's the best, honestly, what I believe. And, you know, Maver, um, Bassett, I talked to him today, you know, they've done such a great job with AB. You know, you just have to be your own person, but you understand what the standard is, and, and, and that's being the best. Yeah, you mentioned Kobe <laughs> Bassett. Obviously, he had some success in recent years. They, they went, I believe, 22 and 6 in his tenure. They had, they had a good season this past fall, two season, ended up having a great game with LS in football. You talk about a lot of that family atmosphere, and, and that the dual county league, I think, breeds a lot of that because a lot of the, the, the schools are in close proximity, so you have a lot of natural rivals. Very similar to the Hockamock League, a league that I've spent a lot of years in. But walking into this situation now for you, obviously as a young guy, you know that in this day and age, you know, there's always talk about relatability with your players. And, and, I, and I really truly believe that in many ways – Football is a young man's game. You got to have the energy. You got to have the passion. But you also have to have that innate ability, regardless of what your age is, to relate to the kids. How important is that today? Because there are a lot of people that will tell you they believe kids have changed today, especially guys from my generation. I'm in my mid-40s that, that coached 20 years ago when they coach guys like you 20 years ago or 10, 15 years ago. But, but do you really believe the idea that kids have changed, or is it more about how the coach – tries to relate to today's student athlete? Um, I mean, I, th I think it's a combination of both, right? I think, yes, without a doubt, the kids have changed. I mean, social media is here. I mean, look what we're doing right now, right? Like there were interviews before, but like now people can tune in. Everything's so much more accessible. Um, you know, I think there's there's instant gratification, right? Uh, we talked about it um, in terms of the wing tee, very physical and whatnot. It's not such an instant gratified offense, right? You know, it's not so isolated. Not everyone gets to see you, you know, out there doing your own thing as much, right? It's kind of get behind and, and there's elements to it in short. And it's not just that, um, you know, on top of that, it's it's the music, right? The swag, the way people dress. Um, and so obviously with every generation, there's times, I mean, I'm realizing where I'm becoming more disconnected with this generation in terms of like, for example, TikTok, um, in terms of TikTok. And so I don't, I don't know much about it. I think Twitter and Instagram is where, you know, the most I'm out there. And so I'm sure as I get older, it'll be different, but you can feel it. Right. And even, <laughs> yeah. And even as guys are a little bit older than me, I could feel when I was in high school and they're like, well, we didn't do that when, when you were no, because everyone keeps changing. And so being able to understand what the game looks like now. Um, I mean, we even look at the college level, we have turnover chains, we have gold, you know, shoulder pads on the sideline for making this stop. And there's all these different elements that you have to keep growing with to get kids to keep showing up. Um, it's, it's not an old fashioned, you know, shovel and pail type mentality. Um, but that being said, kind of transitioning, there are definitely things in the past that we can't lose, you know, we can't move away from. We can't be complete individuals, right? Um, we want to be in a team family life environment because the reality is what sports is, not everyone's going to get the highlight rail play that we want. Not everyone's going to get a scholarship. Not everyone's going to the NFL. Um, and so when you look at these high schools, it's about buying into, you know, a brotherhood or a family, a name on your chest um, that is ultimately bigger than just your last name. Um, and so I think some of those old school principles still have to be worked in. And at the end of the day, you know, I kind of said it in terms of, you know, I make the joke about the wing tee, but you'd be surprised even in the spread where 
There are elements of the wing tee that find themselves still in there because they work and they have to be used. And so, um, you know, in the end, the goal is to try to win a championship and, you know, we're not going to completely compromise ourselves just for the sake of being swagged out, I would say. Yeah, obviously, style of play. We're, we're living in a time, and I like that you brought up the wing tee and the spread because when I look at these two offenses, in the 90s, everybody wanted to run the wing tee. If, if you weren't big enough to run the eye, you didn't have that back, you didn't have that balanced skill group at receiver and running back, then you needed to run something that gave you a chance to compete. The system offense of the time was the wing tee. It allowed you to get multiple backs on the field. You didn't need to be great at receiver, moves the pocket for your quarterback, misdirection, all that good stuff. The spread to me has become that now. It's become the book offense, if you will, in many ways. But where I think the spread gets a bad rap in some ways, the good spread coaches get it. They're not relying on reading a book and installing. They're a lot more creative than that. Now, your Twitter handle is at Mad Scientist. So talk a little bit about your philosophy in terms of the spread offense and 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 how your philosophy has evolved over time. Yeah. Well, I mean – you could talk to a million coaches and we'll all define it a different way. To me, the spread is just a formation, right? Um, wing T kind of packs everybody in. Spread takes everyone wide, right? And like I said, it really opens running lanes. It opens passing lanes. Now, from there, you can do a lot of different things. I remember my first year in coaching, I was talking to a guy and they're like, you can't run the VAR option from the gun. I'm like, and you don't know football. You can absolutely run the VAR from the gun. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do from the gun that still are instilled in the wing T offense, right? Those that's a concept versus a formation. Um, and then once again, even talking about the spread, you could be West Coast or vertical threat. Are you pushing the ball down the field or are you working sideline to sideline? Um, you could be motioning guys across the field, right? There's a lot of different things you can do and it looks different, um, you know, and, and there's different styles of play. You could be in the spread and you can pound the ball, right? You can play smash mouth football in the spread. So in terms of the mad scientist, the way that I look at it is, you know, obviously um, being a wide receiver, I would say, you know, if I had a strength, it, it would be understanding the pass game and understanding how to, you know, mix in routes. Like a comeback route is 15 back to 12. Um, you know, for a quarterback, that's three steps in a hitch. Well, it shouldn't be any different than per se a, a post out, which is breaking at 10 up to 12 back out. They fit the same place. It's the same rhythm, rhythmic throw. And that's kind of what the pass game is about. It's the same thing with a shallow cross concept. You can switch a dig and a post curl. As long as there's a shallow route coming underneath it, it's a high-low on a linebacker. So I say the mad scientist is I'm all about tagging routes and switching new routes in and, and having receivers have the fun and the art of becoming major route runners, but also understanding that they need to work a certain space in the field. Um, and I'll coach Coach Murph. You know, one of his sayings was always, you know, the run game is like art. You know, you can throw a bunch of things together and you can become Picasso and it's beautiful. Well, the pass game is a little bit more sophisticated than that. Uh, you know, you mix the right ingredients and it's a dangerous weapon that can't be stopped. It's weaponized. But you mix the wrong ingredients, which means you run the wrong route, you're in the wrong place, it'll blow up in your face. Um, that's when teams are going three and out interception. So to me, that's why I like the mad scientist, because, you know, the past game is a science and, you know, you have to treat it as such. Now, X's and O's aside, obviously your X's and O's are tremendous. You know the game. You understand the passing game. You were a tremendous player. You've had success as a coordinator. In terms of your program philosophy, what are some of your core tenets, things that are important to you? What are some things that come day one when you meet with your players, and I don't know if you've had the opportunity to do it in person yet, but when you do it in person, when you meet with them, what are going to be the, 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 your, what's your core philosophy? What are, what are going to be your core expectations of them? 
Yeah. So the two that, you know, I, I'll just go right off rip and, you know, some of them will be adjusted because, you know, it, it comes down to the other coaches on the staff. It also comes down to the players and the family. The philosophy has got to fit the community. Um, so I'll change with them um, as they'll change with me. But the first one, like I said, once again, is family. Like, like that is the whole point of doing this. That is the whole point, I think, of playing team sports. Um, I am a big supporter of extracurriculars. I, you know, it may be unpopular. I think they're just as important as in-classroom academics, you know, building emotional intelligence, um, you know, coming together and being able to express feelings in places, uh, but also being able to work in problem solving collaboratively with other people that are not always necessarily thinking the same as you. And so family is huge. Um, from the sporting element and supporting you all the way to learning transitive skills to the workforce and transitive skills, um, you know, within our home lives. Uh, the other one is the process over the result. I think in today's world, you know, obviously, you know, we will set out, we want to win a championships. That's the goal. You want to be the best in the state. Um, but the reality is there are only one person that can be the best and you can't always get caught up with the result. You got to be commit to your values and your process. And so if you're showing up every single day, you're taking integrity in what you do, you're doing it the right way, it's attention to detail, and you're not just focused on, well, I won, or I got the catch, or I got the interception, so I'm going to keep doing it this way. Yeah, it could be true, but you could just be lucky, right? And so if you're doing it the right way, and you're blocking it the right way, and you're constantly committing to the process and doing the right thing, I personally believe winning is a byproduct an example you know it's a product of when everything is going right and so when we're doing all those things that puts us in a better chance to be sitting in the right place um i think of a game this year you know against Wayland, and you know people probably can't tell in the highlight rail it was an amazing game right and the ball at the end actually was tipped off the db's hand and into our receiver's hand for the touchdown um that ball could have went in a different direction and so but because they practice every single day and they put themselves in the right spot. When that ball got tipped, he was in the right place for the ball. Um, and so to me, that's why it's a byproduct of you doing everything right, running your routes right, uh, blocking right, showing up practice every single day. Because when you do, there is more chances than not that you'll come out on the right end. The, the, your approach in taking a job like this change, I mean, obviously each job is different. Some jobs or a total rebuild. Some jobs are where you have to come in and maybe make some minor changes to get the program going again. And some jobs are jobs where you're coming in and you're taking over a program that's had success. And now it's a matter of how do you instill your philosophy and how do you do things your way while maintaining and exceeding that success? How do you view this situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I see it as a situation of it's it's a great opportunity for everybody. I mean, uh, like obviously actors had a lot of success. They've been great in the last, you know, in the most recent years. Um, but there are definitely things that we have to work on in terms of, you know, you know, getting numbers up in Pup One or establishing flag football. I mean, a lot of kids are not playing football before the age of 10 anymore. And, you know, rightfully so. That's where the game's going. So figuring out what that looks like at the lower level. Um you know, in terms of the high school, it's, you know, it's getting to three levels of football and, you know, you know, bringing all that back. But in general, like I said, acting is it's it's been great. I've been on the wrong side of so many games versus them. Um, and, you know, they have a lot of things going right. And like I said, it, it's about just building on that, because at the end of the day, um, you know, you're either getting better or getting worse. And so we have to continually approach that right and go at it. And the way that I look at it, you know. Bassett had it going in the right direction. They were so dominant. Uh, but like you said, going back to Maver, 
you know, the goal is to be state power, right? The goal is to win the dual county every single year. And the goal is to get to a state championship on uh, division one, which is very difficult with some of these teams across the state. Yeah, and certainly I think when you look at a program with the history and the tradition that you're inheriting, obviously that'll be the expectation outside of the program, and of course it'll be the expectation within the program. But I thought it was pretty interesting what you said, and I couldn't agree with you more. It's about the process, and I think we've become, as a society in general, I think across the board when you think about sports, it's become so much about winning and, and that, that the kids feel that pressure. From a coaching standpoint, how do you and your staff manage that pressure and expectation of success with getting them to buy into the concept that in order for us to achieve and have success, we have to embrace the process? Because one of the hardest challenges and I found as a head coach when I first took over at Norwood High School was one of the hardest challenges for me was getting them to embrace the process and understand that if we're going to get this program back to where it was at one time, we have to embrace the challenge of working hard. Yeah, um, you know, obviously it's it's a little difficult right now with COVID. Um, you know, you can't just freely move. Um, we're obviously coming out of fall two season where, you know, kind of the transition is in June and not in February and March. And so there's not a long time. Um, for me, I think it's, it's kind of like today, going to sporting games, get to know people, becoming part of the Acton family. Um, not just on paper or not just uh, in terms of a position, but actually being a person in Acton and, um, and, and, you know, with the AD, AB people really being a presence out there because um, you could feel that. Um, but I think beyond that, it's, you know, we, we talked earlier, kind of everything's kind of hectic. It's finding ways to, you know, meet your players this summer, you know, whether it's Zoom, whether it's in person, um, you know, going to a golf alumni tournament for them, um, but also getting them to training places, getting them to camps. And then, you know, really instilling my philosophies and my views come camp. And also, like I said, them instilling in me what it means to be, you know, an acting box barrel, you know, resident and player and student athlete in person. Um, and so, like I said, I can't give the specifics because I have to see what it looks like and what it actually feels like. But I think that's how it happens, right? Just making conscious effort every single day to buy into them. And I think that that will be reciprocated. How much are you going to lean on mentors, people that you've played for, people that you've coached with? We all have our circle of, of coaches that we lean on, that we go to for, for advice. How much are you going to lean on those people in your life to help you in, in this first year as a head coach? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, definitely a lot. And like I said, like a lot of things, I think it comes with that as it happens, right? You know, um, you know, it, there's different interactions every single season. It doesn't end. You know, it could be, you know, there's so many crazy things that we can't even imagine that happen. And I think when it happens, you lean on your mentor. Um, a lot of the other things you prepare for beforehand in terms of camp and whatnot. But all these cities are still very different. Like I said, I think a lot of the the pragmatics and the preparation in Cambridge that process looked a little bit different than the ones in the one in Act and Boxborough. Um, and I'm, I'm already realizing that within the first two weeks, there are similarities and things that you carry over from each city, but that, you know, in, in other cities, it looks very different, you know, in accent, it's, it's very um, well aware that, you know, these student athletes play two to three sports, um, you know, so it's figuring out how I can support them around their hectic sports schedule. Um, where I think, you know, in, in, in the past where in Cambridge, you know, we had a lot of kids that didn't play sports. So football was their first sport. 
Um, and so for them, it was just trying to get them busy. If they weren't going to go play another sport, then it's go to the weight room, you know, it's do something. So um, I think, like I said, it's, it's very different place to place. And I said, I think as those things present itself, I have a great, you know, group of coaches that I can lean on. Patrick Murphy being one, Lance Don being another, Mike Karen being another. Um, but, you know, even coaches that I coach with in Cambridge, and I can already tell in this Acton Boxborough community that there are definitely coaches that I can go to, um, you know, for, for advice. When you think about where the game is today, obviously, prior to COVID, a lot of the conversation around the football, uh, around football, rather, was, of course, player safety, the concussion issue. And, and I think it's, look, whether we in the football community want to deal with it or not, the reality is our numbers have decreased and it's it is more challenging to get kids to play because part of it now is you have to get the parents to buy into their son or daughter playing. But how important is that for you in terms of the messaging, in terms of what you're telling the parents about your process, how you're preparing your players in a safely manner to play the game? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a couple of different areas. One, I, I think it's just a buying approach. I think, honestly, I mean, numbers across the board is down in sports. Mm -hmm. um, I teach a sports history class um, in at Ringe and Line, and we we looked at it it's across the board. I mean, I, I coach baseball for a year and a lot of teams are going to just a JV, JVA, JVB, JVB, RC system because they just don't have the numbers um, general across the board. Less kids are playing sports, more kids are specializing. We know this. Um, we're trying to push court kids to diversify and, you know, sports are a big commitment. And so, like I said, I think it's getting into these communities. It is, you know, expressing like, hey, I am a person that you can trust. I have your best interest. These have transitive skills. Once again, we talked about kind of earlier the new school versus the old school. I think the new school is instant gratification. And what can I get out of this in terms of a scholarship or going pro? I think in the past it was let's just have fun. Let's go play. I'm going to play with my buddies. Right. Team building skills. So. I think it's more investment and in showing some of the things of the past and, and showing that sports isn't just about going to the NFL or NBA or getting a scholarship. That's one component of it, but it's about having fun. And there are other elements, even though, yes, there are concussions. There are definitely major risks with all these contact sports, but there are also a lot of benefits when playing, them. Um, you know, in terms of getting mentors, getting friends. You know, nothing on this conversation would be possible without me having to play football. Um, these mentors definitely helped, you know, build me as a person, not just as an athlete. Why, why, why do you think numbers are down across the board? What, what do you think is the reason? We talked about earlier how, yes, young people have changed, and a lot of that is due to smartphones, social media. But why do you think numbers across the board are down in sports? Have we changed as a society or sports dare I say, not as much of a priority anymore, especially in certain parts of the country? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think like, once again, I think concussions are a big part. I, I don't think that's that's not it, right? I definitely think that, you know, the scare of, you know, a hit to the head definitely scares people off. But I mean, at the end, at the end of the day, people are still getting on bikes, which right. huge numbers, cars, right? So it's, it's more, what do I get out of this? What, what does this trade off? Is this a quicker ride into work, right? Or is this fun? Um, and so I think that's an element, but I think, like I said, for a lot of people, it's, it's bringing back the idea that like, once again, it doesn't have to be a scholarship. It doesn't have to be uh, division one football. It doesn't have to be the NFL, right? It can be many different ways. Like I said, just a learning experience. 
just fun. Maybe you just do it for a year. Maybe you don't play all four years in high school. Um, and so I think it's getting back to that and preaching that and making sure everyone knows that, because I think when people focus on that and that kind of goes back to the whole process, just enjoying it, um, then you get out of it what you really wanted out of it. Right. And that was an experience. Um, and then obviously, you know, you can have individual goals within that. And so I think that's kind of where we're going within the world, not just the United States in terms of, well, I only want to play it if I'm going to get a scholarship or I only want to play if it's going to be 10,000 likes on Instagram. I only want to play it if everyone's going to cheer for me. And that is relative. There definitely is a point for that. I do get that. I mean, it definitely makes the game better, but it can't be the only reason why you're playing. It's got to be, you know, something, you know, I think more significant than that. Yeah. <laughs> that to me, you're 100% right. I think so much of this is about the individual, right? I think that uh, part of the problem, I, I do agree with you, is that we, we've kind of lost sight of the team concept, the idea that, you know what, you can be an individual, but you need to be an individual within the team structure. And I think we've, we've kind of lost our way in that regard. Yep. Um, it, how important is it to you to emphasize the team concept? Because when I was a head coach, I was a firm believer. You know, we would put the team decal on the front of our helmet. I really believe that if we were going to have success, we needed to buy into we, not me. And yep. how how important is it to get them to buy into that? And, and, and I'll take it a step further. How important is it that when you're recruiting kids to enter your program, how is it important to get those guys to understand that, hey, you need to buy into this conceptually, otherwise you may not be a fit in this program. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one, you're asking the questions that are going to make my pitch for why you should come play football. I mean, football is literally the sport that requires the most people and the most specific differences from between all positions, right? An offensive lineman typically is very different than a running back from a quarterback from a receiver, and that's just one side of the ball. Let's go to defense. They're moving backwards, right? Um, you know, they, they're, shoot, they're shooting forward on the defensive line. It's a different job. And so when you look at football, we're all different types of athletes and sizes. Football is going to allow everyone to come in and, and use their own different areas and, and bring it together for a whole team aspect. And it's the same thing with a coaching staff. Our minds work differently. I mean, it, I, I laugh when I watch defensive coaches draw X's and O's on the board because I call that upside down. And they think the way that I do, it's upside down. So it, it football takes people that are very, very different and puts them into one common goal. Um, like no other sport. There are definitely a lot of other sports that use a lot of team components. I mean, I played baseball. I thought it was great. Um, you know, and, and you know, we've been watching lacrosse. Today. Those are huge teams, hockey. Um, but football, I mean, you're talking about technically 33 starting jobs, right? I mean, I know some guys, you know, obviously they go both ways, but 33 different jobs with special teams. You get into all special teams, there's even more. And then you have sub packages. So there are really a ton of positions um, for everyone within the program. And so it, it's just a way of all coming together. And so to me, in terms of football, like that, that's what it is. It's, it's relying on everybody. And, you know, even as a coach, and I'm, and I'm sure you can attest to this, there is no one coach making a program run. There is not. Even in Cambridge with the success we had on offense, without our running back coach, without our old line coach, without the receiver coaches that we would have there, none of that's possible because you spend your time with one group, but what is the other group doing? They complete the puzzle. Um, and so that's what I love about football is it requires, you know, all these people to be doing their own individual tasks, but it's going to be integrated into a team goal. 
Yeah, and I think that that's such a big part of it is that, unfortunately, getting young people to understand that, hey, listen, the, the great thing about football is it is the ultimate team sport. And, and I think sometimes that for us as coaches, that can be the struggle, right? Getting a kid to understand that as a guard or as a tackle, you can impact the game just as much as, as a skill kid can. Just because you're not the one scoring the touchdown doesn't mean you're not impacting the game. Your job will determine whether or not that score actually happens. So I think that that's yeah. such a big part of it. And, and this is something I've always tried to impress upon kids, Justin, when I've recruited them to play the game. Listen, you know, the misnomer with football is you need to be big, you need to be strong, you need to be fast, you need to be all these things. There are guys playing in the NFL today that are not the epitome of those things that have gotten there because they do have the athletic ability, but they're tough, they work hard, and they want it. And the beauty of football is, unlike baseball, lacrosse, hockey, baseball, sports that require basketball-specific skill set, i.e. shooting the ball or the puck, football's different in that regard. It's a pure athlete game. It's a pure toughness game. If you have those two qualities, you can play the game, and if you want it, you can be successful at it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, some of the best football players I've seen, at least in the time that I've coached, have all been, if I'm being honest, undersized for their position. Um, you know, they just had that that alpha, that dog mentality, and and that's why they were good at what they did. Now, our, probably our best overall receiver this year, I think he's 5'6". <laughs> he could, you know, he blocked the best on the bubble. He knew how to run the seam read route. Um, he was quick. Uh, we had a, would motion him behind guys. He was our two-point conversion guy. I mean, and, and they were all good in their own way, but he was probably the most well-rounded in terms of blocking, catching, and being able to run, you know, any route. Um, so I, I totally agree with you. It's it's not about necessarily, at least at the high school level, you don't need to be 6'3", you know, 240 running a 4'3", to be, you know, the next DK Metcalf or Calvin Johnson. Like, no, you can produce at the high school level just off a of heart. And, you know, the intangibles which are between, you know, between the ears. Final question. What do you know about your roster right now? Who are some of the, the, the guys that you have coming back that you think could really impact this season, make an impact, I should say, for you guys this season? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've already been on huddle a lot, watching, trying to figure out the team. Um, obviously, would he be the O-line, D-line is a – big, strong suit for them. That's definitely unequivocally very good. They're returning everyone back in that manner. Um, but I definitely think there's some rising seniors and juniors that are going to make a huge splash, um, even if you didn't see them on the film last year. Um, just talking to them, seeing kind of what their approach is this summer, how much work they're going to put in. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think on – I'm looking at the date, June 10th, I can sit here and be like, well, this guy is going to have a breakout season and that guy is going to have a breakout season because it wasn't an A-B last year and we didn't even play A-B in Cambridge. Um, but just watching their approach, if, if they buy in the way that I think that they're going to buy in, um, I'm feeling really good about the way that this roster looks and, you know, kind of talking to some people and knowing what certain kids are good at and what kids are not and kind of fine-tuning the system that I had in Cambridge to best suit them. Um, I definitely think that they have a lot of players that will fit in nicely in that area. And, then, you know, talking to a lot of defensive coaches, they know it's returning. Uh, very strong defense last year. Obviously, they're graduating a lot of key players, but a lot of players are going to fill in and, and kind of, you know, pick it back up. And, you know, I think, you know, we'll be a really good defense, and I think we'll have a really good offense. And, you know, I think it's going to be a fun year. 
Well, Justin, I, I want to say thank you for taking the time to join me tonight. Um, I, I, AB is in good hands, my friend. Very impressed. No, thank you. I think you're going to do a great job. I think your vision, your philosophy, your approach, the way that you view the game, both as a player, as a coach, and, and how you're going to view the game as a head coach, uh, I, I think is tremendous. And I think you're going to do a great job. And uh, I know this much. We're going to be rooting for you guys at uh, New England Football Journal. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Have a good All evening. Right. Well, Justin, thank you for taking the time, Coach. I appreciate it. And uh, let's do this again soon. Yep. All right. Have a good night, Coach. You too. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Coaches Chat. Join us again next week when we'll have another high school coach on to talk about their program and the upcoming season. For The Coaches Chat, I'm John Sionitas. Until next week, peace.